Coronavirus New Zealand, a daily stuff podcast. Welcome to Coronavirus NZ. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. Uh, we're stuff journalists, and like everyone else on the planet, we're trying to figure out what to do in the face of this extraordinary pandemic that's rolling around the world. Yeah, it often gets very overwhelming, doesn't it? Not just because the world is changing by the minute, but also there's just so much information to assimilate. So the idea of this Coronavirus NZ podcast is to slow things down a little. We'll have a look at the top lines of the news of the day, but we'll also try to zoom in for a closer look at some things. And also remember to breathe. This podcast may be a bit rough and ready at times. Right now we're recording from my spare room and half the equipment is borrowed from Eugene's trail running podcast. Most importantly though, I have sterilised our desks with meths and put Eugene six feet away from mine. My desk does seem to be one of those 1970s or 80s wooden school desks with so-and-so was here and a bit of a love heart. Yeah, I, I yeah. ran out of office furniture. Sorry, that's an organic collection find that I was you, going to. You have plenty know, of time finish. for DIY, don't worry. <laughs> anyway, so the idea is that we're going to draw on the reporters from the Stuff newsroom nationwide, but also going to catch up with newsmakers and just people living through these strange times. Mm. So later on today, we chat with Steve Kilgallen. He's the national correspondent, or a national correspondent with Stuff. He's taken a close look at panic buying. He's considered the psychology of it and even the morality of it as well. But first, what's happened today? New Zealand is about to go into lockdown. The Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, she announced at 1.30 today that the country has gone to level three in the four-stage alert system, the one that she outlined just on Saturday, and she says it will be at level four in 48 hours. The Ministry of Health said there were 36 new cases in the past 24 hours, the biggest jump we've seen, which brings the total number of cases to 102. The shutdown, of course, is going to have a huge impact on the country, the closure of all schools, restaurants, bars, playgrounds, all non-essential services. And, you know, it's been a big day of announcements. Stuff's political editor, Luke Malpass, he's been listening to these big announcements. We've got him on FaceTime. Luke, this has all happened so quickly. It feels like we've gone from zero to 100 miles an hour in no time at all. What's caused the Prime Minister to announce today that we're heading into lockdown? Uh, well, I think the government has uh, been closely keeping an eye on everything that's happening overseas. And it realises that once you have community transmission, uh, that really um, they've got to make an early attempt to uh, effectively try and throttle the bastard, you know, choke it off, stop it spreading. In 12 days' time, we'll have peak numbers. In 12 days after um, the full lockdown starts, we'll have peak numbers. So after four weeks, uh, we should have a very good idea of where we're at and hopefully no more spread of the disease. Right. So that's important, isn't it? So there was... Today's announcements are that there is there is community transmission. There's two cases out there where they believe it to be the case, and that they've said. Can you clarify for us? They've said four weeks. Is that is that four weeks and then reconsider, or is that four weeks? Yeah. we're in lockdown. Uh, it's it's four weeks and then reconsider. So in two days' time, we go to level forty-eight hours. We go to level four, and uh, the country will remain in that for four weeks, and then they'll reconsider from there. If everyone self-isolates, and of course the border is now effectively closed, then uh, that's the, the government reasons, and this is supported by business, doctors, I mean basically everyone, mm. uh, that this is the 
hopefully the quickest and least pain way of doing this. Mm. There were some really somber comments from her today with comparisons to Italy, weren't there? Yes, yeah, that's right. I mean, the the key public policy challenge here is that um, there's a big lag in the, uh, basically the virus spreads so quickly and no one around the world has enough physical kit in their health system to deal with everyone who gets sick at the rate that they've been getting sick. And so in Italy, you've had, you know, death tolls the last few days of five, five, six, seven hundred people dying each day overnight. So the public policy challenge for New Zealand is basically to, to, to really head, to stop those numbers growing so that the health system um, is able to deal with it. Otherwise, you get over, overrun and that's when you and that's when your death rate really spirals. Mm. I'm curious, um, I don't know if you've got any sense of this or not, but obviously over the last two or three days, there have been people outside the official lines saying, hey, let's let's step it up faster. Teachers asking for it, Peter Gluckman bringing himself out of retirement to, to give some scientific advice. Um, do you have any sense of um, was today's announcement almost baked in last Thursday or something like that? No, I don't think it was. Uh, I think if, with all the contract tracing, I think if there had been no community transmission, then I don't think this would have happened. Mm. Uh, but the fact is that we've got two cases, and we what we've seen in every other country is that we've got two cases. There's lags, which means there's probably quite a lot more. You know, can you imagine? I mean, this was literally not imaginable when people sat down for Christmas dinner <laughs> you know, two and a half months ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 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 I think the government has responded to that. And, you know, it won't be in the fullness of time uh, before we can really make an assessment about um, about whether the right call uh, was made at the right time. But yeah. I would note that New Zealand, as far as like spread of the disease goes, New Zealand is probably, I think, two or three weeks behind where Australia is. And basically, and it's make, taking harder measures now mm-hmm. so that Australia is at the same time. So hopefully that will mean that um, that we managed to, to nip it in the bud. Yeah. What does level four mean practically for everyone? You know, tell us the nuts and bolts. What does that actually mean? Well, we've been trying to get to the bottom of that ourselves, <laughs> really. Um, so far, there actually isn't, hasn't been a massive amount of detail uh, beyond what was on the kind of government's sheet when they, when they came up with these alerts a few days ago. Uh, we know that it means essentially every household self-isolates. Uh, you can go to the pharmacy, you can go to the supermarket, you can go and see your doctor, um, but that's basically it. You don't go and see anyone else. You can go to the park if you keep away from other people. Uh, same with the supermarket, you know, go sparingly, stay away from people. Just one thing that we discovered only when we um, got you on FaceTime earlier, we was we knew that you were watching these announcements so you'd be able to comment on them. But then you mentioned in passing that uh, your isolation from New Zealand's a bit extreme. You're actually uh, in Sydney. Explain. <laughs> Uh, yes, my wife and I are having a baby in the next month. Congratulations. Uh, we, we, thank you. We, we moved from Australia last year, but um, uh, my wife only got over late last year, and so she'd had all her maternity care here, and, um, and so we were having the baby in Sydney, which wasn't a big deal uh, up until about a week ago. And uh, <laughs> earlier in the week, we sort of thought, well, we'd better get our, better get our skates on and, um, and head over in case, you know, 
something happens. And I said, oh, to my wife, oh, they won't shut the border. That's totally ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Never trust a journalist with predictions. <laughs> the old trusted journalist. Uh, so, yes, so um, so I've uh, I've been in self-isolation um, uh, for almost a week now. And, um, and so that's uh, essentially the two, sort of the two of you hunkering, hunkering down and waiting to turn into three, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, waiting, well, waiting to turn into four. We've got our little, oh, our little oh. daughter here as well, so it's, um, it's, it's, it's all pretty hairy. And I can say that um, a lot of people are, are going to um, self isolation is going to be a challenge. Yeah, mm-hmm. four week self isolation is actually going to is going to be pretty tough. Yeah. Yep. It is. Hey, look, look, all the best, and thank you very much for bringing us up to speed so quickly. Terrific. Thanks, guys. So we just had 100. In fact, 102 cases. 36 new cases in the past 24 hours, according to Ashley Broomfield, the Director General of Health, who is that man who stands there very calmly, soberly, at the press conference every day and announces... Something that just seems to get worse and worse every day. He seems to be uh, hanging in there, though. He does. I mean, he's looking a little bit wearier each day as mm. he makes these announcements. I, uh... I noticed he didn't have a tie on at the weekend. Oh, there we go. It's a weekend for you. More than half of the cases are directly related to overseas travel. Most of the rest have some connection to travel. So I guess a relative or a family member, it's the same as a relative, relative or friend who of somebody who's travelled overseas, but two of the cases are being treated as community transmission. So that basically means they are sort of little mysteries of some description, aren't they? Yeah. One of the new cases is a rest home patient in Hamilton, but there's lots we don't know about many of the other new cases. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's 36 new ones in a day. It's, I almost feel nostalgic for, what is it, five days ago, which feels like five months ago, when, when Marcus Lush was doing these running tweets where he'd cram into the length of a tweet these these little synopses of, of who it was. So when it was up to 20, he had man from Iran, couple back from Italy, tool concert, guy who went to America, mm-hmm. horses, you know, the mm. Dane, the Aussie dance guy, etc. Mm. And we all, you know, early on, um, these people are all sort of individuated humans with, with yeah. uh, little pen portraits. And now it's just 36. It's becoming months. a number. Yeah. Mm. Abroad. Another day, another famous person, Harvey Weinstein's got it. No, no comment on that. No comment, yeah. Actually, look, there's this thing I did want to talk about. Yeah. Um, there's this PDF that, that I got emailed by someone who's a, a frontline health worker, and it's really interesting. So it's a couple of pages, um, and I think it's doing the rounds. It certainly did the rounds after I got it. Um, I passed it on to a few people and uh, going viral almost, the, the, you could the, say. The PDF you're talking about, the not, PDF, not the virus. The PDF. Yeah. So it's called... Real-time resilience strategies for coping with coronavirus, and it's um, authored by Dr. Lucy Hone and Dr. Denise Quinlan from the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience, which I hadn't heard of. But anyway, um, these women have put together a twelve-point thing. Just, just real practical advice. Practical advice on how to how to keep your head together. Really, I mean, yeah. obviously, we're getting all the hand washing advice, and we're getting the social distancing, and we're getting all the things that are going to stop the virus from moving as fast as it might. But this is the um, almost dealing with the the fallout from that, which is life's a bit scary at the moment. There's a lot going on, and also we're losing some of the the social buffers that we have. Like you can't go and give someone a hug because you're mm. feeling bad. Um, I was thinking that last night. I was <laughs> nipped around to my sister's last night to pick up a 
a bin tag for the rubbish collection because when I went to the supermarket, they'd closed two hours early because they needed to restock. I went round to my sister's. She pointed to the, the tag and said, it's actually, I've sterilized it. So wow. <laughs> she'd sterilized the bin tag for me. I picked it up and then we sort of looked at each other and I thought, we can't do a hug now because that's off the books. So we sort of play acted a hug and felt a bit silly. Anyway, uh, these are the things you have to do. But um, so I'm just going to read a few things from this this real time resilience strategies um, because I thought they're really really good. So number one, choose where you focus your attention. Even at the best of times, humans are hardwired to notice threats and weakness. During the worst of times, it's more important than ever for our psychological health to tune into what's still good in your world. Psychologists call this benefit finding, and it's a key resilience skill. And the last bit on this, this number one is start your days or meetings with a quick fire round of sharing good stuff. Mm. Perhaps we should do that. Okay. Perhaps we should do that. From podcast episode number two, maybe we'll look into doing that. Yeah. Um, there are 12. I'm not going to read out all 12. I think we'll come back to this document from time to time because there's yeah. some cool stuff. But the other one that jumped out to me, particularly pertinent um, at the time of, of launching a podcast devoted to looking at a pandemic that's freaking everyone out, uh, is number six, watch your media diet. Take a good look at your media intake over a 24-hour period and ask yourself, is reading these articles, watching these videos, or reviewing these headlines helping or harming the way I'm feeling and functioning? Importantly, she says nothing about podcasts, so I think we're safe. We're, we're clear? Okay. We're completely clear. Right. You can listen to this without harming yourself. Exactly. But more importantly, don't let those images, videos, and notifications invade your day, your head, or your world. If the global news is making you feel overwhelmed, turn it off. Turn it off. And I, I really related to that one in particular because um, – on Friday morning, when we were about to start scoping this and doing a bit of a test we run on the pilot, equipment, yeah. doing a pilot basically mm. on Friday morning, um, I got up, thought I'll go for a run, get myself into a good cycle in the zone. for dealing mm. in the zone for dealing with a relatively stressful day, and I plugged in my headphones and uh, dialed up a BBC coronavirus podcast. I thought, you know, pick up some tips, listened to about ten seconds, and then thought, oh, I just. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> Too much. I'd had like 48 hours of gorging on a coronavirus. And I just thought, this isn't going to work. I'm just going to listen to some music. So I turned on some music. Mm. Um, and by and large, that was great. I was, in, you know, I was in my own little private movie. You know, you feel like you're in Chariots of Fire when you play good music in your ears as you're running down the beach. But it didn't entirely work because the album I'm listening to quite a lot at the moment is um, this thing by Amy Mann. And so the very first track that I hit when I hit play goes like this. Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing each other again? And arguably, she probably wasn't writing about coronavirus Song social isolation. <laughs> but it was like, if you are trying to make friends at a time like this, uh, uh, hello, let's never stand uh, very close. Yeah, and it's the problem, isn't it, that... Coronavirus sort of invades everything, doesn't it? Even yeah. the the lyrics of your songs, you know, yeah, yeah. the police's "Don't stand so close to me" came on yesterday, and you thought, mm, "What's that about?" So yeah, don't stand close to me, Adam. We've got stuff. National correspondent Steve Kilgallen here. Um, he recently did a really interesting piece about, I guess, the morality at the philosophical level of um, running into a shop. Getting all of the toilet paper and, and filling your uh, your basket and, and running out 
freaking out. Um, what did you set out to find out, Steve, and, and what did you learn? I think the reason I decided to do this story was I read a lot of dystopian novels as a kid, and I really remember a, a sort of teen fiction one by a guy called John Rowe Townsend. It was called Noah's Castle, and it was about a guy who hoarded six months of food in his basement during some sort of apocalyptic breakdown and his family turned on him and everyone he knew turned on him and in the end he had to give his, all his tins of beans away and everybody hated him and um it just popped into my head at the start of this like if you were that person now and you had a cup a garage full of baked beans whether the community would be particularly pleased if they were all starving to death around you um <laughs> so i thought i'd set out to find out what the whether there could be a definitive moral judgment on whether stockpiling or hoarding or panic buying depending on how you define it, um, was wrong. Right, so I spoke, fair enough. Yeah. So I rang an ethicist at Auckland University and a, a philosopher who specialised in consumerism at Massey University. And uh, we sort of muddled our way to a, a conclusion of sorts, I think. And that conclusion is? They both felt that if you laid in two weeks' worth of provisions, that was absolutely fine. Um, right. Anything beyond that was heading into the territory of stockpiling. So there's all these grey areas up to the point of stockpiling to resell on the black market, like the guy in Texas who bought 17,700 um, packages of hand sanitizer and was trying to sell them on Amazon. How um, much? Seven, he had 17,700 hand sanitizers and he was trying to sell them individually on Amazon. Um, but the Americans, I believe, have taken them all off it. So. Wow. And there's a similar case in Britain. There was two English guys who were buying up um, pharmaceuticals were forced to hand them out after they were told not to resell them. So there's been a bit of that going on. I'm not sure if it's happening much here yet. But um, the conclusion was if you're doing that, that was ethically contemptible. You were the worst of the worst. But anything less than that, there was all these sort of grey areas. Um, so Monique Jonas from um, Auckland University said to me, that you know, you you might be panic buying, but that might be to um, allay a deep underlying anxiety. So, you know, do you judge people based on their psychological makeup? You know, if you if you panic buying because you're pretty callous, then maybe that's not very good. But if you panic buying to try and soothe your own fears about the apocalypse, then that's kind of understandable. So her argument was, if you're judging the bloke with the shopping trolley full of toilet roll, then you're probably worse than he is because you should be showing a bit of compassion. I could see that argument, Steve. What's the? You mentioned two weeks. That seems quite mm. arbitrary. What's the? What's the maths or, around why two weeks? They, they were just suggesting, you know, two weeks, fourteen days self isolation. That's a reasonable provision for that, right? Quite likely outcome. Um, and then I think the other aspect was, you know, trying to make some guess at what would least disrupt the supermarket supply chain. I, I'd spoken to a couple of people who work at Countdown, and they're um, they're pretty stressed at the minute. I mean, that's, that, that seems to be the big effect of all this is the stress on the supermarkets and the staff and the supply chain. And um, Yeah, I, I was at our local countdown yesterday and the shelves were pretty bare of certain things. You What's couldn't the... get any soap. <laughs> wow. What else was missing? Uh, so the soap was all gone. There was no hand sanitizer. Um, some of the, It was weird. Some, some tin products were there and some weren't. Um, there was two guys there from the company that sells the little tins of tuna for his tuna fish for his sandwiches and they were frantically restocking their entire section so there must have been a run on lunchtime sized tuna portions which just seemed bizarre to me and then 
at the checkout, I noticed one woman talking to the woman in front of her about whether she was panic buying or she wasn't. And she was defending what she had in a trolley. And mm. that, was, that was intriguing. But the, the important question, of course, the here, big Steve, question, really. the big question, the real reason we <laughs> called you. So how, how's your stockpile going? How many, how many years of food have you got in your basement? <laughs> um, I haven't excav- excavated on the ground and built the wall room, which the protagonist in my book did. At least I think he did. It's a long time since I've read it. I need to get it off the shelf and panic myself even further. We've got some things, like we've bought some um, long-life milk, which I thought was a sensible precaution if we get stuck at home with three kids under 11, um, which won't be much fun, I don't think. Um, I'm currently writing a series of um, uh, articles about friends of ours that are stuck at home with their three kids and they're on day four and it doesn't sound like a barrel of laughs in their house. Um, I did try and go and panic buy some vegetables to plant yeah. and I can tell you that um, Mida 10 was out of all the good stuff. <laughs> um, pretty much. What's the, the good? Last, what's the good stuff? Potatoes. Well, I got the last. I got no. I couldn't see any potatoes or carrots. I got the last punnet of um, broccoli seedlings. There was a lot of kale there. You wouldn't be surprised to hear. <laughs> not, not so much in Ponsonby and you learn. Uh, Greyland, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm on. I'm on the shore, so maybe not trendy enough. I imagine Greyland. They'll be going hard at the kale. And yeah. Look, the, the, the Nero and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The, the food influences will inherit the earth. I think that's the. The lesson we can take from this. My, my paranoid question about all is, is I haven't planted them yet. My vegetable patch currently is at the front of the property. By ah, the fence. Uh, you need and to be out there with a pitchfork. Well, that's the thing. If you follow the logic all the way to the end, you should really be planting it around the back and putting some searchlights up because you'd think eventually someone's going to start nicking your vegetables. Well, the but good let's hope that doesn't happen. The good news: I have not read any reports yet about um, queues around the blocks at gun shops for handguns, which apparently is the case in some parts of the United States of gun America. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess we'll all just just toodle along and keep on buying just a little bit more than we need. I suspect that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Hey, and hold back on the judgment. Uh, yeah. Be yeah. kind, be, yeah. That seems to be, be the kind. message on virtually every yeah. every um, advice story. I mean, there's no kind way of washing your hands, but everything else is basically, you know, look after yourself and look after other people as well. I think so. I think you're not going to stop that by that bloke buying the toilet roll. So there's probably no benefit to you or the community in having a go at him. Just let him go and do his thing. Fair enough. Hey, thanks, Steve. Um, we'll no doubt be getting back to you on occasion with, um, with some more COVID-19 stories. Great. Cheers, mate. That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Monday, the 23rd of March. I'm Adam Dudding. He's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Luke Melpass, Steve Kilgallen, Alex Liu, Catherine George, Patrick Crutzen, and Carol Hirschfeld. We'll be back tomorrow, although because of the lockdown, Adam's going to be at his house, I'm going to be at mine. It's going to be interesting. Wish us luck. Kakite. Kakite.